Welcome to Weekly Waits. It's episode 95, I think. I'm Will with Miss Alex. But for today, we're not hosting the podcast um, to commemorate our 100,000 download anniversary or milestone. Alex and I have procured one of our clients each, fellow powerlifting coaches, Brandon Tan and Tom Clark. And they're going to run this like a game show slash drinking challenge. So from here on in, they're taking the reins. I'm going to hand over to the boys right now. Brandon and Tom, you want to introduce yourselves and tell us what we're doing today? Okay. <laughs> yeah, g'day guys. So today we're running. <laughs> um, today we're going to run this a bit like a game show. That's our idea. So we're going to have sections one, two, and three. Um, starting off with section one, which involves our shotgun round. Brandon, do you know? Do you want to tell our listeners today what the shotgun round is going to involve? Okay, so there's going to be a buzzer for each of you guys. So Will and Alex have their own buzzer. Uh, the buzzer will be a, a word. So Will, your buzzer word is bench. And Alex, <laughs> Alex, your buzzer word is kyphotic. That's too long. That's too long. If I, if I hit, we're cut, not asking you to you spell it. <laughs> um, so if you want to get started, I reckon I'm going to play some music to get us going. Um, yeah. Tom, you can ask the questions. Yeah. So the way this round will work is we'll tell you the question, you buzz in, um, and then we're going to fire through the five questions really quickly, and you're going to incur penalties for getting them wrong. Or missing the buzzer. Yeah, give, so, give us one sec, Brandon. Your music's not coming through to us. Were you playing some? No, not yet. I'll I'll play it in the thing. Oh, yep. Um, also, so if you get it wrong, so if you buzz in first, you get to obviously answer first. If you get that right, the loser drinks. If you get that wrong, the person who buzzed in who didn't buzz in uh, fast enough, they can then answer the question. If they get it. Um, if they get it wrong as well, you both have to drink. If they get it right, the loser has to drink. Make okay. sense? And yeah, that's fine. Okay, so the audience can play along, it sounds like. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And there are parts of today where we will ask for audience involvement. All right, we can, I'm ready. So my buzzword's bench. Yeah. Yep. Alex, Alex your buzzword. Can, can, can I just test mine? Yeah. Kyphotic? Nice. <laughs> yeah, that worked. Yeah, cool. <laughs> All right, ready? Three, two, one, go. What exercise has Wilkes considered introducing to powerlifting? Bench. Strict yes, curl. Correct. Yes. Alex, have a drink. Have a drink. <laughs> what do you mean? That's not even the right answer. What's the right it answer? Is. Go on. It's there in is the no first right podcast answer. with Wilkes on it. I yeah, he, said that, he said that the current 100% raw has the strict curl. Honestly, the hosts <laughs> liked my answer. You had to drink, so I'm happy. I, I think that was right. fair. Next question. All right. Question two. In world powerlifting, how tall must the bench press be to be in competition? Uh, Kai Fighting. 45 yes, centimetres. Oh, very good. Nice. Is that correct? It's actually, Berkman? It's, it's actually 40 to 45 centimetres, but... I'll give that. So I was never getting close. Alex, do you want to introduce to the audience what you're drinking today, by the way? Uh, I actually don't know. I just picked up uh, some random pale ale. What have I got? I've got the Stockade Brew Refreshing Ale. So obviously as an unemployed PT, you've gone for the one that was on special. 
it was $18 for a six-pack, which is quite reasonable. Yeah, that's pretty good pricing <laughs> in these very hard times. It's good that they've kept essential services like bottle shops open at. Yeah, essential. Yeah, right. And Alex's OnlyFans. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay, we shall we? Yeah, we'll continue. Ready? Who of the following is the host of your competitor podcast, Stronger by Science? A, Eric Trexler, B, Eric Helms, or C, Eric Helmsler? Clarifying. A, Eric Trexler. Very good. Nice. Well done. Honestly, I didn't know. (laughs) I'm surprised how long it took you to answer. I thought you'd be all over that. I thought he wanted us to wait for uh, all of the answers to be said first. I was honestly going to just answer and say the wrong one so that Alex would have a chance to say the wrong one because that would continue the joke, but, but that's all right. All right, Fair. I'm ready. Uh, Brandon, I can keep the music rolling. It actually gives me a good vibe when you're playing it. It's good the drinking music. The YouTube video is only a minute long, so I actually need just to hear that repeat, man. <laughs> repeat it. <laughs> all, right. all right, next question. These ones get serious, so get ready. These are tough. Question four. How tall is Alex Hayes? Bench. Alex? Alex? 174 centimetres. Wrong. The correct answer was... Wait, Will, do you have the correct answer? 173 centimetres. No, the correct answer is short. Both of you drink. (laughs) (laughs) Both drink. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Tom's loving it, man. (laughs) Alex, I wish we were releasing the video of this. Alex is fuming. That is a very sore spot. (laughs) All right, I'm ready. I'm not even the shortest one in this chat either. I feel like I'm being attacked here. (laughs) All right, last question. Five. What was Will's nickname during his time playing footy? Bench. Will? Which one? Um, Gherkin. Yeah, that's Correct. right. <laughs> Do you want Alex. to explain the Gherkman story? Or no? It's up <laughs> the to Gherkin. you. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> so when I was playing footy for um, Northern Suburbs in Sydney, when I first came out of school, I was just the person that like the whole club played pranks on all the time. And somebody just got in the habit of trying to rhyme my name with things all the time and like obviously really forced rhymes and so we were warming up for a game and he kept asking me questions where he said you know hey like hey Berkman whatever it is like hey Berkman when you do x y and z do you go berserkman or something like that and then finally he said um he said something like when you um when you have a sandwich do you ask for pickles or gherkins and for some reason the whole rugby team just collectively thought that was so funny. So I just started being called the Gherkin and it got to the point where, so I was Bill Gherkin to the whole club, got to the point where we went out one night to Bar Century and they had dubstep night going and there was a Hungry Jacks like on the bottom floor of Bar Century and a whole bunch of the guys from the team went to Hungry Jacks and literally bought tubs of pickles from them so that we could have a Gherkin fight on the dance floor during dubstep night. And so there was like strobe lights going and all we could see was like footy dudes throwing gherkins. And so like 30 of us got kicked out for having a pickle fight because I was called the gherkin. But that was it. That's honestly one of my favorite stories from Will. I don't know why I find it so funny. I was going to say think... Will Jerk, man. Would that have been wrong? 
That would have been wrong. Uh, I actually would have been wrong. Yeah, it's it's tolerable. <laughs> I'm sure I've been called it, but not not by my footy team. <laughs> I like well, probably uh, by Thomas Lilly calling you Will Nerd Man. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Too. I actually laughed out loud. That was <laughs> also very accurate. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. Okay. Okay. Next lot of questions. Uh, moving on to our more general questions. So we've got a series of questions about the gym, about gym culture, and about training generally. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to get each of you just to take your turn answering them. Whoever wants to go first is welcome to. You can dibs it if you really want. Um, yeah, I think yeah. as well, drink during this. There's no designated like wrong answer or anything for this section, but like drink. Oh, a couple of them do. Have fun. Let, like, just explain some stories. Yeah, answer the questions. Okay. So you basically want us to get a little bit drunker is what you're saying. <laughs> Get a little bit drunker, have some fun. These, like, hopefully your audience will appreciate these questions. Um. All right, let's see. I'm surprised you're not First drunk one. already, Will. Honestly, yeah, I should probably say I'm so confident that I was going to win this game show that I'm drinking double-strength ciders because I figured I probably wouldn't have to drink for the whole first round, rightly or wrongly. And I'm, I'm starting to feel it, Alex. I've had three whole sips now, and I'm, I'm about to get very violent, which is what you're happens welcome. to me when I get drunk. I'm welcome. <laughs> Thank you. All right, I'm ready. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. Um, okay, how about we start with this one? This one's good. Who is the other's favorite client? All right, I reckon uh, I Will's can... favorite client... You go, Will's Alex. favorite client is... Probably not Tom Clark. <laughs> Very fair. And <laughs> probably JP. Why JP? Because he makes you look good. <laughs> yeah, because he came to me already strong. Um, <laughs> Something that I don't do. Yeah, no, unfortunately, Tom makes me look bad with every session. Well, my guess, my guess is that Alex's favorite client is Mags. Um, and for those listening to the podcast who haven't met Mags, she's she's a little Polish lady. What is she, she competes in like the forty eights or something now? Hey, yeah, forty. She's now she's yeah. now on the theme song. Yeah, she is on the theme song for this episode. She's the one who yelled Jim and footy. Um, and Mags is, other than being really adorable, she she brings Alex gifts all the time. So she's brought Alex like really nice IPAs. She brings him cakes and stuff. Um, she's like the biggest community contributor to powerlifting in Sydney easily. Like she's always volunteering to referee, tech desk, stuff like that. So she plays the role of like an incredibly doting mum who's incredibly supportive on one hand and like she organizes team shirts for team Hayes. And on the other hand, she's got the most raucous, like dirty sense of humor and stuff in the world as well. So I have no doubt that she's Alex's favorite client. Yeah, that's definitely right. Sorry. Well, Jack, cop that. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, cop that the rest of Alex's clients. Was, was JP right? For I, you will. I'm, this is honestly not a diplomatic answer, but I don't have a favorite client. I got a no. lot of clients i got a lot of clients who I like feel very close to like Chrissy's a good example of somebody who like, she's a good friend of mine. I really like training her. She's a good client. It's fun. I really enjoy it. I would say the same thing. That's, of enough, JP. That's enough. Yeah, man. She's told me a few <laughs> times she prefers off. me to you. Um, <laughs> you see being Alex's fiance, but, um, but like, I feel the same way about JP, right? Alex, you're not telling me to back off there. Are you? Um, I feel the same way about JP. He's a good friend of mine. You know, I like training TC. Alex has just brought his dog into the podcast. Like, I wouldn't say I have a single client who's a full standout because just nobody brings me cake. So maybe if they st- stepped up on that front, 
you know. I so there's a shout out to all of the Team Burke members. Please bring him cake, and he will all like three him. of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're <laughs> they're withering away as we speak. Team Burke. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next question. Um, next question. We're going to let Alex go first here because Alex is a history of piggybacking off Will's ideas. Um, <laughs> please, I name went first three. on the last one. You absolute coward. <laughs> Weekly race podcast. <laughs> um, name three good things about Westside. Three good things about Westside. Keyword: yeah. good things. Uh, there is training. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. It, it is start. most. It is sometimes heavy, <laughs> and they have a good culture. Very okay. good. That's what? three good things. What about their culture is good though? Like, what do you like about it? Well, I mean, they all push each other to be, to be better. And they obviously have like a good history of results, which is, comes from pushing themselves to be better. Um, Louis always pushing them and whoever the, whoever the strongest at the time seems to be like the one who takes charge um, and pushes the others to be to their level. Um, although the culture is pretty, it's pretty, it's a pretty toxic culture. It's a bit like, it's a bit absolutely fucked to be honest. Yeah. I was yeah thinking, that was my, that was going to be my like devil's advocate thing is a culture that, that sort of like shuns people who are injured and doesn't like nurture the weak, but basically just like, just beats down on people until they either like stick it through and become the strongest or don't. Hey, Will, is, we were asked to, we were asked to think of positives and that was the best that I could do. All right. That was the absolutely. best thing you could do. <laughs> Will, you can have a drink. <laughs> okay, I'll keep having a drink. I do get belligerent when I drink. So pretty much anything Alex says now, I'm just going to say no to. <laughs> okay. This is a good one to get some more drinks down. Okay. Call someone out. Weakest effort finishes their drink. Call someone, call someone out. out. So, so go one at a time. So Will, you can go first. You can call someone out. If it's, if it's weak, you got to finish your drink. Okay. Honestly, this is Alex's specialty. I've always tried to keep the podcast pretty good vibes. <laughs> but I'm going to call out not just one person. I'm actually going to call out millions and millions of people around the world. <laughs> okay. It's slow walkers, right? People who walk too slow down the footpath are toxic. They're a strain on society's productivity because they make it harder for people to get from A to B and engage in the important tasks they're there to do. And not only that, but they're, they're literally a walking health risk because we know that like that self-selected walking speed is an independent predictor of mortality risk in older people. So if you walk slow, you're a fucking pain in the ass for everyone around you. You're slowing down the economy and you're on death's door. That's what I say about them. So fuck those people. I love how you made uh, people walking slow a full like nerd man meme. <laughs> like you went full nerd about it. Yeah, and that was like, the most Berkman response of all time. <laughs> well, I don't really want to like individually call someone out. And I'm gonna, about I'm it. gonna individually call someone out. Oh, this is <laughs> no surprise. Guys ready? Yeah, Brandon, I'm calling you out. <laughs> okay, give a reason. Brandon is without a doubt the flakiest and least organized human <laughs> being I've ever met in my life. I'll be like, hey, bro, like two weeks, two weeks notice. Hey, bro, like come and do this with me day of maybe hour before without a doubt every single time sorry man i forgot i've got a thing with my missus <laughs> oh, honestly he does invoke the missus clause a lot and probably the only person i know who's more scared of his missus than brandon is alex 
<laughs> there we go. Uh, you had two call outs <laughs> with the price of one from me. <laughs> All right, Tom, you can, you can choose the winner for the question. Oh, I reckon... Look, I, Alex has actually called someone out, so that's impressive. But we'll have, like, a theoretical argument so you can both finish your drink. <laughs> Fair enough, I'll finish mine. All right, next question while we're drinking. Cheers. You want to take it, Tom, as well? Yep. Um, how would you approach <sighs> someone... Who only had dumbbells? Well, we've kind of been forced to do this in the moment, given everyone's in lockdown and only has access to limited equipment. It's so, almost I mean, like that question was really well written. The principles, the principles don't change for any training. We're trying to get some sort of some sort of stimulus and some sort of output through the major muscle movements or major muscle, the major movement patterns. So I guess you know the same thing applies. Choose the major movement patterns. Do training that's hard enough to at least maintain muscle mass and strength if you can. Um, and that's about that's about all you can do, really. I have a couple of things to add. So although fundamentally things don't change, like a lot of my clients right now are working with really limited equipment. So fundamentally things don't change. Like Alex said, you're trying to trying to give a stimulus that's adequate to promote hypertrophy, possibly promote strength. When you have big limitations in external load, you've got to think of like, how can you actually leverage that load more to either create more torque around a joint or limit your movement options more. So do things that are more isolated so that a target muscle actually gets more stress because it becomes really inefficient. If you're like, like Tom squats, you know, 240 kilos, he aspires to 250 soon. Um, 240. That's not very good. Is it? No, it's pathetic. Um, but, but he squats that. If he has one 12 kilo dumbbell, then like the quad stimulus he's going to get at the best of times doing goblet squats is still going to be pretty limited, right? Because at some point it's just going to fall so far down the intensity continuum that for him to actually do things that are hard is really impractical. But if you can leverage that 12 kilo dumbbell and turn it into a goblet squat with the heels really elevated with like a slow tempo, this is a pocket theory of mine is that with really, really light weights, tempo on the eccentric actually becomes more important because you spend more time producing force in reps that would otherwise be nearly useless. So, you know, heels elevated, really slow tempo, maybe add some band resistance around the knees, pulling them forward so you have to create more knee extension demand, stuff like that. Like you change the movements as much as you can to most directly target the stimulus and then you still do things to near the point of failure. That's... um that would be like that would be how i would make things more efficient but then beyond that it's still a matter of picking a few movement patterns that target each muscle group or each sorry picking a few movements that target each muscle group or each movement pattern you want to train and training them as hard as you can within the restrictions of weight that you have and obviously the more restricted in weight you are the further from say the conventional power lifts which are designed to help us actually handle lots of weight except for my bench you'd have to go and the other thing to note is like usually powerlifters in particular have a lot of weaknesses that they don't focus on at all during most of their powerlifting training, unilateral stuff, core training, even mobility, stretching, that kind of stuff. And it's a good time now that we're all kind of stuck and don't have access to a lot of equipment, a lot of us to work on those things. And those things are going to be a lot harder for us than they would be for someone who trains them often. Yeah, That's another sure. consideration. Would you guess like, um, 
Do you reckon any of your clients will make actual like progress from this time off? Or are you just trying to be on maintenance with all your clients? Alex? Um, I think it's, I think it's hard to predict really. Like depends. It depends what equipment they have access to. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. Like if you have a rack and a barbell, like you can probably continue getting better. Um, but if you don't, then, you know, maintenance is obviously the goal. And I'm guessing that most people should be able to maintain with pretty little equipment. I pretty much I agree with that, Alex. Go on. Sorry, Tom. No, no, so I was going to say, do you think not only that, but having the decreased external stressors, like a lot of people are working from home, sleeping more, um, potentially have less negative influences around them environmentally, like with their social life, drinking, whatever. Do you think that could also facilitate people improving better over this time period if they have the equipment available? Yeah, but also like, although a lot of negative stresses are withdrawn by being confined to your house, a lot of like positive things are withdrawn as well. And like there is something re-energizing and I'm saying this in the most like wooey sense, but it's true. There's something re-energizing about like social contact with your friends, about being outside, about having things that are engaging to you other than training stuff that's engaging mentally or physically being allowed to engage in other hobbies and like generally having a positive outlook on the world. And I think like, although to some degree you can treat what you're doing now as like being in a training camp, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually going to be in a better place to train. Like I certainly know with my little home gym setup that I've got right now, I'm not as motivated or happy walking in the door to train there as I otherwise would be. Because like when I look around me, the world's pretty bleak and like, you know, my self-concept is being challenged as a strength coach right now by the circumstances that I'm in. So like, so maybe the fact that I'm other than today, not drinking as often and I'm, you know, able to sleep as much as I want and stuff is a good thing. But like, but I'm not sure that it fully outweighs the circumstances that we find ourselves in. I'm not sure. Yeah. I definitely think that you get something out of, training with others who are pushing you but also like i find the actual commute to the gym is something that i really enjoy like getting all my shit ready getting in the car getting a drink driving to the gym like putting music on getting like in the right mind frame to train it's not quite the same when you're just like pressing the button on the lift and walking downstairs like to your garage or whatever that's you don't quite get that same i guess motivation might be the right word might be the wrong word whatever but that might also not allow you to put in as much effort during your session if you don't have that um, kind of backing. Do you think, um, Alex, this is something I was actually thinking about today. Like I tend to have rituals around my training. I've spoken about this with you a few times that like facilitate me training well, but all those rituals were bound up in my idea of like going to the gym. Do you think now that people are training at home, we should be considering like different things that we can do around our training times to put us in that right mindset to actually be productive and like enjoy our sessions. Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing you can do is plan each day what time you're going to train given you have the whole day open. Like if you have, um, if you have one hour slot or an hour and a half slot where you can train on each day or four days a week, or whatever, you know, during that hour that you're going to be training so you can prepare yourself in the hours prior to train and then you can prepare the hour um, afterwards to eat or to prepare food or to have a shower and relax as recovery. Um, So definitely like, I think you can just by scheduling um, your day and like setting up when you're going to do your work, when you're going to do the bloody emails, when you're going to train, when you're going to eat all that, all those kind of things. I think you can definitely improve the training outcome that way. 
Yeah, for sure. I yeah, mean, no. I agree entirely. So, Tom? Yeah, oh, they were two really good answers. Very well done. Oh, thank you. Should Alex um, drink to celebrate how good his answer was? 100%. No doubt. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to. I feel better after one beer. And for calling Alex out, well, you've got to drink. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just not right, man. <laughs> we're trying yeah, to find that tipping point on, where we go from informative to just like absolutely unintelligible. <laughs> I feel like we've done cool. enough informative content now that we can kind of just kick back. <laughs> okay, exactly. this will be a good question. The then. Yeah, it's <laughs> okay. educational programming. Um, tell us your most embarrassing gym slash powerlifting story. The loser finishes their drink. Most embarrassing um, gyms. Okay, I got a few. Uh, I can go first. I can yeah, go right. first. Oh, I've actually, I got two. I got two funny ones. Um, after my third competition, I changed coaches and started with Amir from Madonna's Athletics. And I was training the same template that Will and Doug were doing. We were training out of lift. And like we just competed that weekend and we were back on the next Monday to do like our first, our first session of the new training block leading into um, Oceana's prep. And I reckon I did maybe six to 10 sets of leg training. And I spent the next half an hour in the lift bathrooms booting. That's not that embarrassing. Okay. So I got a few. <laughs> uh, okay. First things first, Brandon was present for this story. So he knows it. I've told it on the podcast. So the first one that I'm thinking of is when I peed in the bin at Lift Performance Center. <laughs> and so, so what happened is I had a really busy week of work and training and I just like, I had like all encompassing life stress at that stage um, because we were preparing for nationals. I had a whole bunch of clients who were really busy. I was doing like 30 sessions a week. My band had a couple of gigs coming up and I was trying to write content for the JPS powerlifting course at the same time. So I was just stressed, like out of my mind. And it got to a Friday and it was midday and I'd been working from six and I was like, shit, I better train. I got really heavy deadlifts. Like my mind's just in another place. I really want to get out of here and go home. And so I ran up to the corner store and the only thing I could buy was this Coke energy drink because they were out of the other energy drinks at the time. And so was it was so bad, by the way. What? Yeah, that oh, was they so bad. dreadful. That's terrible. But I'm drinking it, walking back to the gym, like trying to get myself in the mindset to be productive. And I was responding to client messages that I'd gotten across the morning too. So I'd like fucking 15 back, backed up. And so I'm responding to messages and I spoke, I had a quick chat with the owner of Lift Performance Center on the way in. Um, Brandon, I think was on the desk. And I walk around the corner and into the bathroom. And I'm still texting and I'm peeing. And then I just like, I kind of came back to reality and realized that I just completely like fumbled in my head and somehow found myself peeing into the paper towel bin. And I was just, so I'm just standing there <laughs> cutting a slash and, and luckily there was no one in the bathroom. Right. But I had to like cut it off and go to the urinal and finish. And then, and then, so I, <laughs> I was like so concerned by the fact that I'd peed a pretty decent amount in the paper towel bin. And it was like kind of obviously covered in pee that I had to pull all the paper towels out from the dispenser and like try and hide my crime. And so I was like, I filled the bin basically with paper towels so that no one could see my pee. But because I'd had that Coke energy drink, there was like a bit of a Coke energy drink smell about the pee. And so I was really concerned and the, the cleaners for the performance center at that stage used to come at about like 1 PM. So I, I literally kept like, you know how murderers go back to the scene of the crime? I kept like lurking near the bathroom, 
to make sure that the cleaners had gotten there to take away the pee-filled bin um, until they finally turned up. And when I saw the cleaner walking out of that bathroom holding the bin and it was like sagging <laughs> at the bottom, I was just like, I was a mixture of so relieved and so ashamed. It was incredible. So that was pretty funny. And I told Brandon and he couldn't stop laughing for ages. The funniest thing about that story is I was literally just minding my own business, like normal day at work. Will comes over to me and just goes, hey man, I just peed into a bin. Like <laughs> it was just so random. And <laughs> it was so funny. And then I think after you told me, that's when the cleaners were there. And then he was like changing the bins. And I remember us watching the cleaner like pick up the bin and it leaking a little bit down the bottom. <laughs> I just remember just, no way, this is happening right now. But the best <laughs> thing was when I like, when I went in there, I had been speaking literally two meters away to the owner of the gym. So in my mind, I was like replaying the scenario being like, imagine if I've just said like, oh, you know, work's going great. I'm so glad to be here, blah, 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 blah to the owner of the gym. And then he walks in the door of the bathroom and I'm just randomly peeing in a bin. <laughs> like what that would, what that would say about me. So anyway, that hey, was right up there. <laughs> Who wins? Look, Alex, you should drink because that story wasn't as good, but we'll just, man, here I thought being on this podcast was a professional opportunity and uh, <laughs> that was rough. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> All right. Next question. I'm um, moving on to some questions more broadly about gym culture and sort of why we train to a bit softer topics. Um, why Alex do you... Alex out? Yeah, Alex yeah, has just dropped Alex out, but that's all right. Let's talk. He'll rejoin. Yeah, he was frozen for a bit. Uh, um, I messaged him. Will. Yeah. Why do you choose to compete in a tested or natural powerlifting federation as opposed to a non-tested? Um, well, I mean, first reason is that I don't use steroids. But um, honestly, that's, that's actually close to as far as my thinking goes on the matter. So, um, like... From first principles, I don't really have a moral issue with people who choose to use performance-enhancing drugs. I have a moral issue with people who choose to do that in tested sports, and it's not yeah, something that right. I want to do for myself. I'll get back to that, but largely because in tested sports, it's cheating. Um, hmm. But like, it's also not something I'm interested in doing for myself. Um, but, but forgetting that, when I actually was first getting into powerlifting... Um, I was talking about it and what happened is I Googled powerlifting in Australia and powerlifting Australia website came up and there was a contact for a guy to call. I think his name was like John Sullivan or something. I've, I've never met him in my life since. And I rang him and was asking about registering and he said I could just put him down as my coach. So I just rang that guy, put him down as my coach, registered and did a, did a comp two weeks later. And so it was almost like by accident that I ended up in the Federation that was um, that was sort of affiliated with WADA and all that. But prior to me doing that, um, I'd been talking about wanting to pursue powerlifting with my parents. And my dad, my dad at the time was working with a guy. My dad, my dad runs a music store, and he was working with a guy who was in a covers band that was like a pretty successful covers band. Plays gigs all across Sydney and has toured Australia a couple of times. And his bass player in his band was getting coached by a prominent Australian strength coach. I'm not going to, I'm not going to name who it is, um, but a prominent strength coach who works with a lot of people who are known to be drug users and 
you know, is affiliated with GPC and does like pro raw and big dogs and stuff like that. And this guy said, Hey, Will, like if you're interested in doing powerlifting, you should definitely get in touch with this guy and I'll give you his phone number and refer you to him. He's a really great coach. And like, not, not intending to throw any shade here. Every impression I've ever gotten of him is that he actually does a really, really good job. And this is since I've been involved in the powerlifting scene, I've kept tabs on the guy, you know, obviously a very, like very competent and successful coach. But what happened is prior to me looking up powerlifting in Australia or on Google, I had this referral. So I, I Googled this guy's name and the first thing that came up was a YouTube link and it was, it was him with one of his clients who was, who was really well known for being strong at the time. And the guy was squatting like 350 kilos and he was talking about squat technique while this guy was doing a set in the background and he's doing a set and he's talking about it. And the guy goes to re-rack the bar and he missed the rack and he had like spud straps and things underneath the rack. And this coach went from like talking about squat technique and not looking at his lifter to being like, oh, shit, 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 and trying to, like, put the bar back in the rack, and this guy was stuck under it, and they're both swearing. And it was, like, re- it was like really scary to me as a not-real lifter at the time. And so after that, I was like, I don't know why this guy elected to put that on YouTube because it makes him look, like, kind of negligent as a coach, but also, like, that doesn't reflect what I want in coaching. And so I elected to, to look elsewhere. But had I started working with that guy, there's every chance that I could have been competing in in GPC or something now. And I wouldn't, it wouldn't have impacted the way in which I actually think about powerlifting because it's fundamentally the exact same sport. It would just be that that's the community that I happened to enter. When I entered powerlifting Australia, I had such a good experience with literally everyone that I was involved with that I never had reason to look elsewhere. And because like I've said, I don't, I don't use or intend to use performance enhancing drugs. I haven't had a reason to look for another federation since because I've got so many close friends and people that I associate with who are in this federation now. So it's sort of, it's like a mixture of happy circumstance and, and just convenience, I guess. Um, and having said that whole story, it looks like Alex has rejoined. Alex, you there? Yeah. Hang on. I just need to connect my headphones. All right, man, you go right ahead. Um, Tom, you had a couple of follow up sounding questions while I was talking there. I could see you almost getting ready to jump in. You know, I think the, um, that was a really good endorsement for powerlifting Australia as like an organization. Um, but more specifically with like the idea of competing natural versus enhanced. Um, do you think there's philosoph- like, do you see there as being philosophical merit to pursuing that completely natural or is that a broader decision about your health? Um, honestly, in most ways it's a broader, um, tell me if I cut out, as it happened, I did cut out here. Oops, but we're back. Cool. Yeah, we're recording. Apologies for that. Yeah, so philosophically, do you think there's something about competing as a natural which you think is really important or is it a more broadly a health discussion or a health idea? Um, there's, there's elements of both. So when I say like I don't have an issue with people choosing to use performance-enhancing drugs, I say that with the like with the caveat which is not really reasonable or realistic that people actually understand their implications that using them have for their health and that they do so in an informed and intelligent manner and the majority of people don't really do that the majority of people who use performance enhancing drugs that i see are people who could achieve their goals naturally who train like shit who don't take adequate care of their health and are doing that as a shortcut 
blind to the potential risks of it, right? So people who do that, I think are like fucking idiots, right? But people who do use performance enhancing drugs in a like quote unquote healthy manner or like as un- as healthy as possible and with full acknowledgement of the risks that they entail, I'm like, that's your choice, but it's not my one. So when you say like, is a decision about my health, I personally have aspirations to train as hard as I can and progress as far as I can within the restrictions that I'm willing to place on myself. So, you know, I like training a lot and there's trade-offs I'm willing to make for my general lifestyle, like my social life, you know, decisions I make about nutrition and stuff to facilitate that, but they only run so far. And in the same way, I'm not interested in pursuing further training pro- um, progress through the use of performance enhancing drugs when to me that means a, a commitment to like a dosing schedule, monitoring my, you know, monitoring my bloods, monitoring all sorts of other shit with a doctor's help, you know, injecting myself, sourcing drugs, things like that that I just don't want to do and I don't feel like that would be conducive to the lifestyle that I want to live. So when I look at using drugs through that lens, I just go like, why on earth would I do it? When like one of the things that is most appealing to powerlifting to me now is that it's something I can do entirely on my own terms. I can say I only want to train four times a week for a couple of hours where I'm going to train really hard. You know, I'm only willing to use X and Y equipment. And at the drop of the hat, if I want to go on a holiday for six weeks and not train at all, I can do so. The second you're starting injecting yourself with drugs, I mean, your training schedule can still be like that. But if you think that you can just eat whatever you want when you feel like it, if you're not feeling motivated and it's not going to be compounded in the way your, you know, your cardiac health presents, or you think that you can just go on a holiday and just abruptly stop your drug use and that that's not going to have some type of consequences, I don't think that's entirely realistic. Like it's certainly not my area of expertise, but it's those decisions I'd be much less comfortable making. So throw all those things together and legality and I just go, uh, it's not for me. Um, and then the actual like philosophical aspect about what is it to, what is it to compete drug free versus what is it to compete using drugs? That's another question. Um, and also one where I tend to be most drawn to the idea of clean sport, whether or not it's entirely realistic. Um, I'm most drawn to that philosophically, but, but yeah, when I just look at what it means to use drugs in a manner that I think would be like acceptable or informed, it doesn't, it's not congruent with the life I want to live. Alex. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said, but for me, like it's more of a personal goals thing. Like I have goals in powerlifting, certain weights that I want to hit. Um, and I have body composition goals, you know, whatever that don't require me using any drugs. Whereas if I did have goals that did require me using drugs, for instance, like if I said I want to total a thousand kilos at like, you know, a hundred kilo body weight or something like that, like that would be something that would require drugs. And in that instance, it would be uh, okay in my books for someone to decide to then use drugs in that instance. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the legality, the like, the strict regimen that, that it takes on you. It's like, I don't think it's worth it. And it's not even something that I've actually really considered. Here's a question. I haven't actually thought about this deeply myself ever, Alex, but would you value and actually Tom and Brandon as well. Would you value gains that you made the same now 
if they started coming more easily to you by virtue of you injecting yourself with gear? Um, I think you have to like taper the um, like results accordingly because obviously like the ceiling, um, your ceiling as a lifter increases once you start using drugs and then you have to kind of like calibrate that versus what that means as a natural. So like obviously initially no, but then when it gets to that pointy end, when you get to the same end, um, on the enhanced scale versus natural scale, I think the progress is still equal. Yeah, but I mean like, yeah, but what I'm saying is, so say for me, like I've been knocking on the door of a 300 kilo deadlift for a while, right? And when I eventually deadlift that much, hopefully (laughs) natural, (laughs) it'll be one thing, right? Like that'll mean something pretty important to me. But were were I to start a cycle of test and in eight or 12 weeks, blow 300 out of the water. Obviously I'd still be chuffed because it's a milestone, but in like, Mm. and like I can't entirely attribute that to the drugs that I've taken, but I don't think it would be as meaningful to me to overcome that immediate barrier as it would were I natural. I think the easiest way to to frame it would be that the goalposts just shift a little bit. Yeah, cool. So your, your 300 might now be 325, like six reds. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think like that's a really good point, but I think especially your how rewarding goals are is often like somewhat related to how much work it takes to actually get there. Definitely. Um, and like when you first start training, it's like super enjoyable because you just seem to get stronger magically. But it's funny, like I look at how I've progressed more recently and every goal seems to be even more fulfilling. Would you say that your gains since you've been working with me have been steroid-like or even more than (laughs) steroid-like? No, they've been (laughs) creatine-like. So modest, but like... Yeah, well, my deadlift has almost gone down. Um, (laughs) But no, like... That's just because you've gotten fat. (laughs) Well, I am a lot fatter now, thanks to Will. Um, But no, like, I think you enjoy... There's Obviously, there's a level to which you're investing so much in your training that you like it frustrates you that you're not improving but there's like this point where you're you're putting in a lot of work and then those improvements are really gratifying um which is why those same, I know, but i think those same things happen with enhanced lifters like yeah just those, further down that it's path. just it's just the goalposts are shifted and like you may make yeah. that new progress again for a couple of years but then you're gonna run into the same roadblock where yeah. each two and a half to five kilos is gonna be equally hard it's just gonna be at a much heavier load. I agree, but I also know a few people I know personally who've ju- like taken performance sensing drugs earlier in their lifting careers. Ooh. When they are no longer taking it, have found the process of training really frustrating um, because in yeah. their head, they expect to train for 12 weeks or whatever and get this much better and then yeah. be faced with this long period of time and minimal progress. But then um, it goes to the, the inverse of what I was saying earlier is you have to shift the goalposts back. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's like what Alex is saying is all of us here sound interested in like the pointy end of our training capabilities. It's like that that protracted grind and work for small amounts of progress is still meaningful and rewarding. And whether that happens 10 or 15% further down the track by virtue of you using drugs or not is almost unimportant. 
But for me, I'm content enough where I am without using drugs to be content. You know? Yeah. 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 And we see, we see people who live for 10, 15 years. Like look at Mike Teixeira. How long has he been lifting for? 25 years or something? Yeah. Ages. He's, he's still hitting PBs. Um, you know, presumably natural. Like I take, I would take his word for it. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's no reason why you can't continue. The progress is just going to be slower and it's just, yeah, it's just going to require more, uh, more patience. Um, An analogy I use with my clients with stuff like this is, um, if you guys know, um, listening, I am a gamer. Um, so I've learned a lot through gaming and one of the, a great example for this is, um, I don't know if you ever played Sims or GTA, but pretty much with those games, there's, uh, cheat codes. You can literally just Google and put in and it gives, like gives you all the money and pretty much beats the game for you. And the whole point of those games is kind of like the journey and the process. Um, and whenever you do that in those games, the minute you cheat, you end up quitting the game the next day. Um, so I kind of use that analogy for a lot of things and in terms of like taking like steroids or gear, I kind of have the same idea in my head is like, I find it more fulfilling doing my goals naturally because I rather it just, the journey feels so much better and the process feels so, so much more satisfying without doing the drugs or doing the gear. So I always use that analogy with my clients to be like, Hey, like you guys, some, a lot of people end up, uh, kind of rushing or really wanting to like achieve their goals really fast. And I just tell them, Hey, like, here's this analogy, just sit back, enjoy the process, let it come because the journey is so much more enjoyable than the end result. So being stuck and just focusing on that end result and choosing to cheat because of that is just not as satisfying as doing it naturally. Brandon, as a gamer, um, yep. how analogous do you think like the concept of minimaxing is to lifting where you're like trying to get the most you can out of limited resources. Do you want to explain minimaxing in a gaming sense then? Maybe explain I don't know that. what you mean by minimaxing. Explain. <sighs> okay. I'm going to say this really badly, but minimaxing is the idea that like with limited stats or resources, you try and get the greatest performance benefit you can out of it. I'm going to read minimax or minimaxing is the process of optimizing a character for performance in a certain way, meaning being as efficient as possible or power gaming, right? Mm. So it's saying like everybody operates under constraints, but you can still optimize within those constraints and elevate performance a long way past where people are just by seeking more efficiency and really like refining the art of working with what you've got. So um, in like, I, Brandon and I play Super Smash Brothers together. So like we're thinking about games, like each character in Super Smash Brothers has strengths and weaknesses, right? but you can still optimize your play with a character by maximizing the amount of return you have on your strengths and minimizing, minimizing your exposure to weaknesses. And the same thing's kind of true with lifting in that like you might, you might look at yourself and say, you know, whatever it is, like I'm really gifted at X and Y motor qualities. I'm really gifted at, at training certain ways. And I know I can get really, really good if I work really hard on that, but I happen to be, I happen to be, whatever it is like frail and prone to injury. If I push training cycles too long or with too high intensities and you know, X, Y, Z. So by avoiding the things that don't seem to contribute to my training or a real roadblocks for me and maximizing the returns I can get on my strengths as a trainee, I might be able to actually get to a really, really high ceiling. And part of that process of like of minimaxing is also self discovery of saying like, what am I actually apt for? Where can I find returns? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I get you. 
Yeah, Alex, do, does that do ring buy- true to you as like a coach? When you look at your athletes, you go like, where can I eke efficiency out of this athlete? Yeah, it's like looking at the lowest hanging fruit, right? Yeah, exactly. If someone has if someone has clear technical improvement that they need to make in any of the lifts that are you know going to give them easy gains, like those are the things you go to first. Mm. And so uh, I think yeah, that makes complete that makes complete sense. So, but let's bring this back to gaming. Like, if you have if you have like an an incomplete character or whatever, like something that's like that's not perfect, right? You have the option of like optimizing how you play with it or how you use it to get the most you can out of it. Or you can think of steroids as like just a massive stat boost to everything where everything gets better, but those relative strengths and weaknesses haven't actually been developed any further. Like the, the art, like the art of actually maximizing relative strengths is, is sort of like that, that's appealing. That's what's interesting about games and training. I think that ties into Brandon's analogy really well. And you frame that very much as a long-term pursuit. Is that like, do you conceptualize, do both of you conceptualize powerlifting as being something you'll do forever? Yeah, man. I think I've long for myself left behind the idea of like getting heaps and heaps better tomorrow in lifting. Um, But part of the joy that I get in training now is in discovering things about myself or like small benefits to different methods and, different methods and different like elements of my mindset and approach to training that I can employ to either enjoy training more or continue my progress or help with my clients. And it can be really, really little things, but it's that, it's that pursuit of like refining the art of training and refining the art of like framing training and thinking about it. That to me keeps me coming back. Cause if it was literally a matter of like coming in and every week being stronger and better, I'd go through like six or eight month periods of like fucking hating it all the time because there's times when just training kind of sucks. But if I can play around with stuff and yeah, eke out further progress and learn stuff, I'm always satisfied. So for sure. Definitely. I think like you're never, you're never a finished product. There's always things you can work on. And, you know, I look at like myself, you know, two years ago and like how much different I am as a lifter, as a coach to now. And then I look at myself, you know, two years prior to that and how much things have changed. And I can only imagine that things are going to be further refined, further refined, further refined as we go forward. And that's kind of like, it's kind of exciting to know that you're going to learn more and you're going to develop more and you're going to improve more. Yeah. You know, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Do you see there being then by extension, like obviously one of the things with powerlifting is you reach a point where your performance may continue to increase, but you're making sacrifices, whether it's with your health, um, or with your body composition, do you guys conceptualize there being like an upper ceiling of this is how heavy I'll get, this is how committed I'll be to that process? Well, that kind of ties into what I said about minimaxing, right? Where yeah. like there's certain things I'm not willing to do. So for the time being, I'm not willing to use performance enhancing drugs. Maybe when I'm like 40 and want to be like full on Silver Fox Stallion, I'll consider it. Um, talk to one of those Are really dodgy. Yeah, nearly. Talk to one of those like dodgy hormonal health doctors or something and do it. But like, as in, I'm not willing to do that. Um, you know, I'm willing to gain you're on HRT, but you're really going to be on like 500 milligrams. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. But, but like, you know, I'm willing to gain weight, but I'm not willing to like, not like the way I look ever. Right. Shout you know, out, I'm, shout out Mitch Ronan Burke. Yeah. yeah shout out Burke. Mitch who's <laughs> asked me to get fat. 
but like I'm willing to do that, but I'm not willing to do the other. I'm willing to train okay. four days a week, maybe five days a week, but I'm not willing to like quit my job so that I have no stress, you know, things like that. Like, of course there are always going to be constraints on what I'm willing to do, but there's no reason for me to think that I can't get better within those constraints. And particularly if I acknowledge them and shape my approach around them rather than sort of like fighting the tide of the things that I already know are never going to change, then I think I can go a really long way. Like I have to believe that. Yeah. You might bench at least like 140. Maybe honestly, like that could take <laughs> the 500 milligram a week. Yeah. 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 Do you agree, Alex? Absolutely, man. Like I think there's more, there's more PRs in powerlifting than just one rep maxes. Like it's more things you can do when, you know, maybe you get to your early forties and your weight on the bar starts to decrease. It doesn't mean that you should stop lifting just because you can't improve your one rep max performance. Like there's always things that you can do to maybe improve quality of life or maybe you just switch things up a little bit and you don't do like, don't do one rep max and you don't do competitions. Like there's many, many things we can do along the way. And like, those are always going to be shifting as we grow. And in some ways, what you're saying now ties into how like I'm viewing and trying to frame this period to a lot of my athletes is like, there's lots of avenues for growth outside of your immediate goals you've set yourself. And even just learning like, how can I train productively under really heavy constraints in terms of equipment? So TC, going back to your question about dumbbells, you know, how can we train around that? Like, how can I find motivation in times that are tough? What can I explore about my body and movement and stuff now that might help me later? All those things are still like valuable and important and rewarding. And, you know, I don't think anybody who ends up in training for the really long run doesn't develop some type of appreciation for that stuff. Yeah, yeah that makes all the sense. Definitely, man. 100%. Yeah. Look, we run the risk of actually having meaningful chat today. Um, but Not if I sink another one of these. <laughs> let's How move. much more you guys... have you guys got planned? I'm excited. Let's, let's do some retarded stuff. Well, yeah. let's do our fun rounds now, you reckon, Brandon? The stitch up, the stitch up round. Yeah. Yeah, we take a very quick break before the stitch up round because I've drunk too much mercury. I need the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. I'll be right back. Weekly weights. Good blame I've already used that one. Yeah, you've used that. It's nice <laughs> yeah. though. Good blame the zoo. Tom, you're um, the host, man. You're supposed to actually like introduce everyone to what's going on. That's I'm the temporary job. guest host. We should okay, probably, guys, wonderful to have let's you interrupt. No, stop, Tom. You're not hosting anymore. Okay. We want to talk about, <laughs> <laughs> we want to talk about how much Tom has wanted to do exactly this oh. and for how long. Alex, how many times do you reckon Tom has asked you if he can be on the podcast? I would say at least a dozen. Okay. So I have had Tom's clients at powerlifting comps who I've never yeah. met in my life come up and Massive ask me. Out whether he can be on the power, whether he can be on weekly weights because he likes it so much that he's been talking to them about it. He has wanted to Massive do this. Shout out so to Kat. Yeah. Shout yeah. out Kat. Um, yeah. This is a dream come true for Tom and all it took was the apocalypse. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. That's you know, how desperate for content we were. Yeah. It kills this off all the This apocalypse is about issues. as unlikely as us getting a hundred thousand downloads. Will. Yeah. To be, to be fair, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> all right okay. we've had a polite roast of tom you can take back over your hosting again thank you um well we've got up next we've got two like final series of questions 
we have the Who Am I series. So this is one for all of you playing along at home. So all three listeners and myself when I listen on Friday. Um, what we're going to do here is I'm going to describe either Alex or Will, and then we're going to put it to you guys to identify which one of you we're talking about. Yeah. Do you want to read the first one, Brandon? Yeah, I'll do the first one. Okay. Who am I? I got fluffy in high school during a creatine bulk and I was nicknamed the cloud. (laughs) Who am I? (laughs) (laughs) Who is that? I'm I'm happy to tell you the answer to this one if you guys are ready. Tell me the answer and then give us some backstory on... It was (laughs) Alex. Um, That's (laughs) Alex. It's... I'll tell you what the real... You want to know what the real nickname was? Go on. It was Marshmallow Man. (laughs) (laughs) That's honestly 40 times better. Like 70 kilos of you. One of the boys wrote, wrote Alex Hayes is Marshmallow Man on the whiteboard at the gym. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who it was to this day. That's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Next Next one. Who am I? I attended a university Halloween party in 2013 dressed as a swolger in a cut-off green shirt so that I could show off my open speech marks, guns, closed speech marks. Are these just all going to be me? Well, well apparently you didn't, you didn't, didn't really submit any. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, you're going to have to own that, mate. Have I, a drink. I was, um, I was Lieutenant Latz, actually. That, Lieutenant Lats. That might be worse. I think this should have been Lieutenant Dan because you don't have any legs. Or I was, or I was Colonel Carves or something. Colonel Carves, <laughs> and that was with Doug as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Doug was Alex and my training partner for a very long time as well. Um, he's now doing rock climbing instead of powerlifting. Doug actually put together probably the best, like super dodgy home gym setup of anybody that I've seen so far. He had a crate and he put a pot plant in it. And then he tied a piece of rope over the top of the plate, uh, over the top of the crate, sorry, so that he could pick it up and put it down. And then he would tie that bit of rope to like a plank of wood that he had sitting over something like a teeter totter. So he could do pull downs and he could do, um, he could do like torsionator press style movements and stuff against it as well. And then he'd also use the crate as a dumbbell, but it's literally just a pot plant in a crate. So funny. What was he, Alex, at this party? Do you remember? He was the same. He was, fuck, what was his name? I'm trying to think. Private Pecs, baby. Private Pecs. Except that they were public that night, weren't they? He had his shirt nearly yeah. entirely open. Fucking hell, he ripped it off. So, have you Matt, seen that gym? Um, have you seen that gym on Instagram, which is on a beach? I can't remember the name. It's like Tulum or something. I don't know. Yeah, Tulum in Mexico. Oh, yeah, yeah, Tulum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, what you just described reminds me of that gym where they're just like complete ghetto. It's called Jungle logs. Gym. Jungle That's Gym. It. But it's actually Shout really expensive. There, um, so Tulum in Mexico is split into like two parts, right? There's the part that's like pretty chill and bohemian and there's like lots of hostels and stuff and like cheapish cafes and bars. And it's a really fun place. I went there and stayed there. And then you, there's sort of this, there's like a main road that all that stuff's on, but you're about like a K inland. And then there's another road that runs perpendicular to it. And you can like usually hire bikes and stuff <clears throat> and you ride just all the way down that road to the beachfront. And then all along the beachfront is private beach. So there's like villas and stuff and resorts that own the beachfront there. And that's where the jungle gym is. And all of them are like super uptown. 
And that's where people go and spend like a grand a night and shit to stay there. But it's like a K up the road is all backpackers and we're all just like getting wasted for $5 a night. And then you ride down to the jungle gym region and it's literally like full on five star, like, you know, movie style location shit. It's completely different. It, it's so weird. Is it, is it like that just based off the gym? Like is the gym made that area like that? Like purely through Instagram hype? Or no, the, the gym it? is like leveraging leveraging okay. the hype of that area because it's really pretty and like there's ruins in um in tulum that are really nice that are sort of along the foreshore and so i think like a lot of people go there and they stay in this beautiful beach like they're able to go beachside location swim it's gorgeous go look at ruins stay in a really nice all-inclusive or they can be a backpacker like me and stay in a kind of shitty place and do all that stuff for free but ride a bike but yeah, the gym's just in that uptown area. There's actually a cheap gym there um, that I trained at a couple of times as well that was like super shitty and skin, but it was fun. All right, back to who am I? Ready right, for the next one? Man. Ready, mm-hmm. Alex? Ready. Right. Who am I? I bet it's me. The elephant man. Full stop. <laughs> who am I? Okay. I'll dive <laughs> So, so this one is me. Well submitted, Alex. Um, okay. So what happens this is the this- only one I put in, by the way, yeah. for context for the listeners at home, I messaged both Alex and Will asking for like embarrassing stories about each other. Will replies with over a hundred words and Alex sends me four words and it was like elephant man Burke story or something stupid like that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, <laughs> so yeah, I think it was 2012, might have been 2013, like early. And, um, and there was this girl who I actually had met in high school and her sister used to come to the gym that Alex and I worked at. And her sister was really nice. I spoke to her all the time. And she brought, she brought her sister in, the one that I met in high school, one weekend. And she was like quite pretty. She had really pretty eyes and stuff. And she was a nice Do we need a content warning on this story, Will? No, no, it's fine. And so, um, so we spoke and I was like, wow, she's a really nice girl. And so I just said, like, what's your number? I'd love to take you out on a date sometimes. She gives me a number. And I teed up this date and I was like really stoked because like I said, I thought she was really pretty. She was a nice girl. And we went to this ramen place in North Sydney and I like deliberately picked it. Its name was, I think Rio's. And I deliberately picked it because they um, they have like a line out the door. So they turn people over really quickly and they're really tasty, but it's kind of like a, you go in for 15, 20 minutes and then they ask you to leave thing. So I was like, we go on a date. If it's great, then we can like go for a walk or something. And if it's not good, then like no harm done. You get out of there. You've got a reason to leave, right? So meet up, you know, get in, take a seat, eating our food, having chat. And it was going like really well. Um, you know, easy talking. Like I said, she's a really nice chick and somewhere like towards the end of lunch, her body language just started changing a bit. And she went from like being really interested in like leaning towards me and stuff to like sitting back and looking really quizzical. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like I must've said something like that's really put her off. Right. And she just like her body language fully turned around. And so I finished my lunch and I was like, this is so strange because like things have been going so well up until this point that like, I'm not really sure what's wrong. Um, and there was no like trigger moment where I was like, I shouldn't have said or done that. 
So then they said, oh, do you guys, um, do you guys mind? We've got people waiting for the tables. So I'll be like, no, no, that's fine. And we went to leave and I said, oh, you know, do you want to go for a walk? And she sort of gave me this shit excuse like, no, 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 I really have to go. Like I have the doctors in three hours or something. And like, just like fucked off down the road. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And I was walking back to the car and my face was starting to get a bit itchy. And I was like, this is all a bit weird. Like I feel a bit dodgy. I'm not sure what's going on. And I sit down in my car and like pulled down my mirror, you know, the like um, the sun visor thing in the car where you can see you've got the mirror in it. So I pulled that down being like, what is going on? And I had had a full allergic reaction to something and my face was so swollen and my eyes were like <laughs> swollen shut and my cheeks were like sticking out literally like level with my eyebrows. And I've got like heavy brows, right? So like I look like a completely different person and I must have over the course of lunch had an allergic reaction to something and literally turned into like a fucking werewolf in front of her. But basically like I had little slits for eyes and completely red face and just like hives everywhere. And I turned into basically elephant man and it all settled within a couple of hours as well. It was so bad. So I just completely blew that one. We never saw each other again. Um, but I was telling my mates about it that night and they just lost it and said, like started calling me the elephant man after. And that's what Alex is bringing up. Well, Alex, that was really thoughtless, mate. That's a bit rude. I think you should apologize. I think you should get off my podcast. <laughs> Fair point. Our podcast. Yeah, it's now collectively. We now have four hosts on weekly weights, Alex. So whenever you're late, we'll just start without you. Oh, he's dropped off again. All right. Almost lost him. TC, next question. I'm ready for this question. Pardon? Do you have any more who am I? Yeah, we definitely yeah, have we one. Have, yeah, one more. Um, who am I? I peaked in high school and I still live with my parents. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> okay, sorry, that was me. <laughs> I, don't reckon, I don't reckon you've peaked yet, Will. You reckon? Thank you, Alex. That's, that's a compliment. Can't, like, you can't have. You can't have. Oh, okay. Like, no, that's that not a cannot be your peak. That was close to the nicest thing you've ever said to me. And then it just got much nastier. Here's a chance to say something a bit nicer. We have our final round of questions. Um, The first of which... Wait on. You haven't told me. You haven't said the story about Alex that I really wanted you to say. No, no. I got got told by you I couldn't tell that story. No, Um, no, no. Different one. The The one about where... Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, do you want to read this one, Brandon? Okay. <clears throat> Who am I? During the banquet at the 2015 Asia Oceania Powerlifting Championship <laughs> in Tashkent, Uzbekistan, I posted that was so wrong. You went to the bathroom and you were found by someone kneeling face down in a toilet having a tactical. You then proceeded to go back to your hotel room early, falling asleep and locking your roommate out until 3 a.m. Who am I? That was me. Will's just smirking. <laughs> Alex. Okay, I'll go, I'm going to tell this story because this is going to make everyone who is there seem like an absolute coward. Give, yeah, give it some proper context. How can you, how can you turn you ready? other people being cowards? I'm, okay, I'm interested. So, so we're in Uzbekistan. If you don't know anything about Uzbekistan, it's kind of like Russia a little bit. And they love vodka in Uzbekistan. So we get we get down to the banquet and everyone's got the their plate set up. They've got forks, knives, and 
a glass, and then everyone's got a double shot glass on every single seat. True. So the the bartenders come around. They come around every few minutes, and they're like, "You guys want a drink?" And we're like, "I said, oh yeah, you guys have any beer?" And they were like, "Beer? What about the vodka?" So we're like, "All right, vodka it is." So they filled up everyone on the table shot glass, double shot, and we start doing shots. And uh, we're, this is at the IPF Oceanas. So there's lots of other countries there on their own tables. And everyone's sort of greeting the other countries and doing shots with each other. And because vodka looks a lot like water, a lot of the people on our table, Will included, were doing water shots. That's not true. That's not and, true. You know, <laughs> five, six, that is so true, Will five, six, seven countries later and I've done, you know, 10, 10, 12 shots of vodka and everyone else has done 10, 12 shots of water. Not true. Will's getting Absolutely mad. Absolutely true, Will. But excited at the same time to call him out. Go on. <laughs> Absolutely true. Go on, Alex. You keep telling your little fucking vodka-fueled fantasy. <laughs> and then, of course, because I was the only one who actually drank anything, I was having a chunder and going to bed early. Okay. So Alex's story was factual up until the point where he started describing doing shots with other countries. Here's what happened. Every table had one to two waiters on it and the waiters were all like literally 12 to 13 year old boys, right? It was so dodgy. So we had these like little underage guys who were standing there holding bottles of spirits and you had your little shot glass like Alex was talking about. They were double shot glasses and they were like a goblet. They were like, like they had a little stand on them and then the cup. And you also had your glass for your chaser. And what they were expecting you to do is like, like literally throw part of your shot down, sip your chaser. But if you poured it into your glass, they would immediately refill you with your spirit of choice. And so I made that mistake a couple of times. Well, there were no spirits of choice. It was just vodka. I made that mistake a couple of times and they would jump in and literally just fill me up with vodka straight away. And I was like, shit, if I do this, I'm going to be throwing up in the bathrooms. So I moved to literally just sipping my chaser, which already had like four vodka shots in it and sipping my vodka, right? Alex was the only person who would just keep pouring his vodka into his glass. So it's true that he was drinking at a greater rate than everyone else, but it's literally because he just wasn't observing local custom. No, you know what was actually happening, Will? is that everyone was pouring their shots into my glass. That wasn't true either, Alex. That's that entirely untrue. That was so untrue. true, Will. You are, you are so wrong, I, Will. So, so anyway. About the story. Hold on. Yeah, so, yeah. Where, Alex, where did you figure out people were pouring water instead of vodka? Where did that come about? Oh, that's just a where lie. Did it was literally, like, so obvious. But I wasn't going to be <laughs> a coward and not do a shot of vodka with the people that I competed against. So that's anyway. part of the spirit. So anyway, we're all drinking and we've got like this 13-year-old boy filling up our glasses with vodka as we go. And what happens is we're all like distracted and we had sort of like, we had a, a little like a platter of food on each table. And so we're picking at the food and our friend Jules says to me, have you seen Alex? And I said, no, not for a while. And she goes, well, maybe you should go look for him because he was pretty drunk before. And I just hadn't even noticed, Right. So I went to the bathrooms and there was a closed bathroom stall and Alex's legs and his boots were hanging out of it. And I knew it was him because he had this habit of rolling up his chinos so you could see his ankles and then wearing like funny socks. So you could see shoes, funny sock, rolled up chino. And so I said, Alex, is that you? Still does it. 
So I said, Alex, is that you? And he goes, yeah, yeah it's me, man. And I said, you're all right? And he was like, yeah, I'm fine. So I went back to the table. I was pretty drunk too. And I said to Jules, yeah, he's fine. He's just in the bathroom. And Alex came back about 10 minutes later. And Alex, tell me this isn't true. I said to him, Alex, were you vomiting in, in there? And his exact response was, 100%, man, 100%. <laughs> tell me that's not true. That's true. I'm not going to deny that. But you denying the water shots is cowardly, Will. Yeah. So, so then what happens is we, the banquet proceeds and it got really weird. Because in Uzbekistan, they've had like, when the Soviet Union collapsed, and they went back to their own currency, just through mismanagement and like being a dictatorship, they had like hyperinflation. So it got to the point where like, it was something like the smallest denomination of note that you could get was like a hundred of whatever their currency is. But it was like 13,000 of them to get like a kebab from down the road where we were, which is like the equivalent of like, like three or $4 or something like ridiculous. And so like everybody just had crazy banknotes. So when we'd first gone there and we exchanged, we exchanged something like 700 us dollars with the bellboy. He gave us like $4 million of notes in Uzbekistani currency, but in like, like, you know, up to a thousand dollar notes. And so we had like too much money to actually carry around with us. We had to like shove it in wads down our shirts and stuff with rubber bands around it. So everybody had all this money and it ended up being that we were on the dance floor, like throwing hundred Uzbekistan note things at each other. Cause it was like sharing somebody with like fragments of a five cent coin. Like it just didn't matter. So we're all like throwing money at each other and dancing and shit. And like everybody got really wasted. And then it got to the point there was like, there were Uzbekistani belly dancers. And there was a guy who had like, there was a guy who had like lasers and things on a suit that he was wearing doing a light show. And at some stage in the night, like it got really weird. I was really drunk. At some stage in the night, Alex just disappeared. And he was sharing a room with Jules, right? And we ended up like playing piano in the hotel lobby, singing the Kazakhstani national anthem as best as we can until they literally told us you have to go to bed. And when Jules went to bed, she was knocking and knocking and knocking on the door and Alex just wouldn't answer because he'd completely passed out. He was so drunk. Right? <laughs> and so she's knocking and screaming at him and everybody else has gone to bed at this stage because they're literally like just emptying the hotel. And so she had to go back down to reception and there was no receptionist on because it was so late in the night. And so oh, she- the, the other thing that I should notice that I should mention, Will, is that we were the only room that only had one key as well. So I I had the only key, whereas every other room had like two. Okay. Well, that's, that's somewhat in Alex's defense. Yeah. That's somewhat in Alex's defense. Basically he passed out and locked her out of the room. And so Jules had to go find random staff at the hotel at like after 3am to get let in because Alex was so paralytic. Phenomenal. So there. (laughs) That was good. True story. Except the part about you not, uh, not uh, well, back in the did water shots in coward. Okay. Related to that, our next question for you guys is: So, will so for Will, you've been entrusted with creating the script for the Alex the movie. So, give me an elevated pitch about a movie about Alex's life, and tell us like the story and like a brief overlay of the plot points. And the same for Alex, you're being tasked with creating the script for Will. The movie or Burke, the movie. All right, I'll so get first. Burke, oh, wow. the movie. 
He's so ready. Okay. I was it's really one word answer. I'm ready for yeah. it. Burke, Burke the movie gets up at five o'clock in the morning and goes upstairs. Well, he has an outdoor shower first in his little fucking outdoor pad. And then he wanders upstairs to a coffee that his mum has put on for him the night before. Starts having coffee and reading Sydney Morning Herald. And then he gets on his phone and he checks all the chicks that he's DM'd and who, which one of them bothered to reply. Mostly seeing no replies. <laughs> Feels bad. Sad moments. Yeah, brutal. And in, this, in all this bullshit, he's just sitting on, his, sitting on his ass trying to think of shit to do. That's the whole movie. That's Will. That's a compelling that's movie. <laughs> I think Is I there a plot twist? Yeah. Honestly, that's not bad. So Alex's movie is basically like the big Lebowski, except with Alex. And so unlike me, he doesn't get up at five in the morning. He just barely gets out of bed at all. Every day, every day is just like, is like an exercise in just being slovenly. So, you know, he puts on dirty clothes. He eats leftovers out of the fridge walking around. Um, He fancies himself as being some type of an athlete. So the big Lebowski, he plays bowling. But Alex would probably go shoot hoops with a bunch of drop kicks. Um, and just really not much happens. But somehow, just by being associated with maybe like a brilliant and intelligent friend like me, he just bumbles his way into like incredible importance in society and just <laughs> has to find his way through and come through the other side. And through, you know, through a mixture of, you know, luck and actually that's pretty much just luck on its own, you know, he gets there. And that's, that's Alex the movie. Big Lebowski, but with Alex. What do you reckon? What do you reckon, Brandon? Uh, Horror? (laughs) It's thrilling. A thrilling movie that I'll definitely watch. (laughs) (laughs) There was actually, when I watched The Big Lebowski, that was another time Alex disappointed me. Um, I actually watched it on New Year's Eve with our friend Doug because we were having drinks at Doug's house and Alex was at a house party and he was with girls at a house party and he said that they were all going to come to Doug's house and have drinks with us. And he kept saying, yeah, yeah, I'm coming soon. Yeah, yeah, I'm coming soon until after midnight. Then he just never showed. So Alex and I just watched the big, and not Alex, Doug and I just watched the big Lebowski to pass the time. I don't remember that New Year's well. I do. What year was that? 2014, 15. Okay. Yeah, there you go. I had a girlfriend at the time. So that's why I was happy to watch Big Lebowski. Did you just go to another school, Will? Hmm? Yeah, okay. Next question. <laughs> uh, okay. I'll do one. Um, yeah. For Alex, why are you stronger and bigger than Will? Why am I stronger and bigger than Will? Yeah. Well, um, are you at all? <laughs> I, am strong. I am now stronger than Will after the weekend. Do you have a bigger total than Will? I do. Unofficially. Okay. What's your, t- what's your total? 680. In, from that testing session from last week? Yes. What's your total? If we're counting unofficial lifts, then I could also have a 680 total. In fact, if we count unofficial lifts, I could have a 682 total. So, like, whatever. Okay. Did your comp to- get called out, but called off because of a pandemic, Will? It's not yeah, up to me. Just- it's not up to me to determine the global health status. Right, I'm just saying that like your <laughs> lifts were unofficial. Okay. Yeah, but Alex, look, Alex is getting stronger, and I think that's to his credit. 
but he's still he's still a little baby back bitch to me. He always will be. Have you gotten stronger in several years, Will? No, definitely not. When's the okay. last time you PB'd your bench? Like proper PB? You've done one forty, right? Yeah, twenty seventeen. Wow. That's yeah. two years. Wow. No, three years. Yeah, That's I know. sad, man. That is sad. But it's okay. Now I'm paying Bryce Lewis lots of money to get me better at bench, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Especially with the exchange rate. Oh boy. Yeah, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Things are getting worse. Lucky I paid monthly and I paid my last debit a few weeks ago before the exchange rate really tanked. Mm. I wish Bryce all the best. He has a tough task at hand. He certainly yeah. does. And he's told me he's close to giving up. He said, Will, message me less. I don't know what to do. Is it true he ignores your memes sometimes? Nearly always. Yeah. No, Bryce actually likes my memes. It's really funny. Um, he, as a guy, like he and I are really similar in lots of respects. We share like we share a lot about our sense of humour that I think is similar. We share a lot of interests. But he's like the most sincere, caring, nice person in the world. Whereas like in as far as I'm sincere and caring, I am. But I'm also like incredibly dry and can be super emotionless. And so like I've had a couple of times where I've said to him, man, I'm feeling pretty down this week. And he'll respond like super emotionally open, like, you know, being like, man, I'm really feeling for you. I hope you're okay. And I'm like, I'm fine. I was like bordering on autistic in the way that I was telling him that I was feeling grumpy. Whereas he's like just the most open hearted person in the world. It's really funny. Bordering on autistic is a theme of your, your movie. Will. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> be like, what's be like Gilbert a, great, it, but me. I was going to say, is it rain man? <laughs> you know, I've actually been playing a bit of poker since this lockdown, this lockdown started. I'm not much good at it, but I've been trying. Should play JP and chess. I actually am considering playing some chess as well. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Um. You both, you guys both often preach the importance of conservative training and trying to go nine from nine at meets. Why is it that neither of you have ever done that? <laughs> That's a hard bird. Well, no. I unofficially did it on Saturday, so. <laughs> yeah, but unofficial well, doesn't I, mean anything. Unofficially did it. All right. Well, I'm counting it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm one for one for 15. I'm going for nine for nine. So here's how I look at it, right? Alex hasn't gone nine for nine. And the only way he's ever actually been able to go nine for nine is in like an unofficial unsanctioned competition when no one can speak to the quality of the judging. So the reason he doesn't go nine for nine is because his lifting technique is questionable. The reason I don't go Mags nine for nine... Have a, Mags is going to have a serious issue with that comment about the red <laughs> ring, by the way. She <laughs> you, I guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, why haven't I gone nine for nine? Um, because you're a terrible lifter. Maybe. maybe when you can go um, through your competitions and be like, there was one point where, you know, you did sleeveless, beltless, and you're just starting out. That could be like three comps. Yeah. Like, no, early in my competition history... I made all of the mistakes that I cancelled my own lifters against. So I took attempts that were dumb. Like I remember in my first international comp, I missed my opener on depth for squats, literally just because I was nervous, made it on my second. And then instead of saying I'm going to take a conservative third to build a total, I just went, I'm just going to jump from my opener to my planned third, which was a PB, right? Just because I just wanted to make sure that I hit a PB on the platform and I missed it on strength. So like I used to make really dumb mistakes. Whereas now the reasons that I haven't gone nine for nine 
have tended to be either that I'm taking my third lift to like chase a placing, say in my deadlift, taking a third lift to chase a placing that I want to have that's ahead of where I am and missing. Or, you know, I've taken a, I've taken a reasonably aggressive jump to try and place me well in competition and happen to miss. And then here and there, like if I were to look at my past five or six comps, I've had comps where I just like have felt dodgy on one lift or another and managed to miss narrowly an attempt that I don't think was unreasonable. So I think like now when I don't go nine for nine, it's either because of circumstance or because of mis-execution in the moment. Um, whereas previously I used to go not go nine for nine because of making really shitty decisions and not being adequately prepared. So different things, but all the stuff that I'm trying to fix for my own clients. Alex? Yeah, I, I agree entirely. Like early on, it was just making dumb mistakes because, you know, you don't know better. But more recently, um, you know, you try and make the right decision on the day, but you don't know if it's the right decision until afterwards. So sometimes, you know, you may think you have an extra three, four, five kilos and you may, you know, have ta- should have taken one, one less. Like even at Nationals last year, um, I only missed my last bench press and based off my second attempt, the speed of it, you would have thought that I would have had four extra kilos, but I just didn't. And I don't think that that was a mis-execution. It was just like, it just wasn't there. So like there's instances like that. Um, and the few times that I've gone eight for nine, I've missed a small jump on my third bench press. So maybe I need to be a little bit more conservative with bench attempts in the future. Um, but like something that I always say to my clients is do as I, do as I say, not as I do. So like, you know, we, maybe we make these mistakes so that our clients don't have to. We learn for that for their uh, benefit. I say do as I mean, not as I say, because sometimes what I say is just complete bullshit, right? <laughs> yeah, a lot of what you say is complete bullshit, Will. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. Next question. Brennan, do you want to go? Do you want to do the four questions to finish off? I feel yeah, like well, you guys do that. You guys have We've answered the four questions, haven't you? Yeah, let's do overrated, underrated, properly rated. Yeah. Okay. Overrated, underrated, properly rated. Alex Hayes. Will. I would say properly rated. Oh, sorry. That's the actual topic. I thought you were directing the question to Alex. No, I was I directing say the question to you about Alex. Properly rated. Okay. So um, it depends who you ask. Because I think if you ask Alex, overrated. Um, but if you ask other people, largely properly rated, I think um, I think if you ask Alex, then the sun shines out of his butthole. But if you ask pretty much anyone else, they'll tell you Alex is good at what he's good at, bad at what he's bad at. And for the most part, he's, you know, verging on mediocre in most things that he does. Alex, do you think that's fair? And that was so. Uh, you actually cut out there, so I'm just going to pretend like you didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Selective hearing. Yeah, that's my answer. It's about somewhere between properly rated and overrated. That's fair. I think I'm properly rated. <laughs> All right. And the, the flip. Yeah, for Alex, for Will. Yeah. Uh, Will is, I would actually say, underrated. Fuck yeah, let's go. Hey, nice Alex. Um, After being roasted. I think <laughs> he I think he deserves a bigger social media following given he actually posts some useful content from time to time. And um, he could be quite funny. But um, don't ask him what he thinks about himself because he overrates himself a lot. 
but other people think of him very lowly, so they should think of him higher. There you go. So what he's saying is, I'm not as shit well, as people think. Yeah, people think you <laughs> are. Oh, you're still terrible, not as good as but you You're think. actually all right. Okay, Alex. Underrated, overrated, yeah. or properly rated? Brandon. <laughs> Definitely underrated. Brandon is Brandon's a good dude. He deserves okay. more credit. And as a coach? Okay, everyone's just frozen. Okay, I was saying Alex <laughs> as a coach. Or oh, Alex looks like Alex is was bad. I was getting ready to, you know, get some compliments. Or to get roasted. <laughs> and then Alex gets <laughs> kicked out of the chat. That's all right. Okay, <laughs> TC. Um, TC, following on from that, do you think Ram is underrated, overrated, or properly rated? As a coach or as a bloke? Um, well, but, you can start with coach and then go as a bloke as well. Oh, Alex, you're back. Well, Oh, he's back. back. Okay, we were saying... So, I was saying specifically as a coach, Brandon, underrated, overrated, properly rated. I think underrated. I think he's extremely good at teaching uh, technique and he's got some really out-of-the-box programming ideas that seem to be working really well. Um, he's obviously still pretty new to it, so he's not going to be rated super highly other than the people who have worked with him which I think is fair because he doesn't have like a huge reach right now, but I think eventually he'll get there. So yeah, underrated. Hustle. Um, and you, give us an example of like a really out of the box programming thing he does that you wouldn't have thought of. Is it how he randomly forgets to eat for like two weeks? Before <laughs> Why can't I see everyone? And <laughs> just cut. I don't know. Cause you got Povo internet. Alex, you want to answer? Oh, question? There's, because there's two of me. I know. Oh dear. Okay. Um, Go on. What was the question? The the question question was, what's an example of an out of the box programming thing that he does? Um, I think he puts a lot of emphasis on like, um, top end work, even for beginners. Mm -hmm. Like he'll get, he'll give them quite a lot of exposure to, um, singles. Um, you know, at like, you know, 85 to 90% for, which is something that I certainly wouldn't do. Like I would, are on the side of like keeping reps higher for beginners. But I think it's something that's worked really well for his lifters. Like they get a lot more confidence out of um, training at those higher percentages and getting practice doing just one rep. Cause that's obviously what they'll be doing. Um, in yeah, I give you my thought process on that if you want. Yeah, go, um, yeah, go for it. So I feel like a lot of times, especially with beginners, they don't know what it's like to feel a heavy weight on their back. And because they're not that strong anyway, those higher loads aren't going to be that taxing for them. So it's not going to be like a massive kind of speed bump to their training at all. So getting more practice and on those high percentages, and it's not a true max anyway, one, yeah, it gives them more confidence, but it also just helps them develop the skill of learning how to push through sticking points, what it's like to do one rep and like the skill of being able to, you know, take a big breath and express all your energy for one rep. I feel like that's a skill that takes a lot of time to develop. Um, so being able programming that way, that's my idea is just like get them a lot of specific experience while they're training. So when they come to comp, then exactly, you know, I know how to put all my energy into one rep. Um, I know what it's like to feel heavyweight. I know what it's like to push through sticking points. That's kind of my general philosophy when I program that way, but I don't always program like that. It just depends on the person. So can I share a research perspective on that? Um, when I was researching for an article that I wrote about motor learning and powerlifting, I read a study and it was like a pretty dodgily conducted one. So take it with a grain of salt. 
but they got a bunch of people who were university age who hadn't squatted before. And they got all of them to do, I think it was like three squats with about one third of their body weight um, on the bar. And prior to having done that, they were shown a video of an elite powerlifter doing a squat. And then they were given some basic verbal instruction as to what a good squat looked like. So they do, they do that one set of like three reps. And then they were given a model that they had to, they had to sort of like shape into what they thought looked like a good squat position in the hole. And then they had to answer some questions about like, you know, what a good squat looks like, what squat technique entails. And they did some video analysis of their lifting as well. Right. So everybody does that. And then they split them into two groups. They had one group who did the exact same load for another set, having done all that stuff. And another group that did heavier, I think they went to 50% of their body weight on the bar and did the same process. So whatever it was, three reps, answer all those questions again, reassemble the model, have their videos analyzed or, you know, the same weight, same conditions. And what they reported was that the people who actually used a heavier, um, a heavier weight did better. And part of their justification for that was, or part of what they said might explain it was that they thought that um, because weight itself, like external load is a, like is a feedback mechanism, you get better proprioceptive sense of where your body is in space when you're moving weights that are more challenging. Uh, and that might be partly true. And probably you guys can also think about like how some of your clients might squat the bar pretty dodgily, but do 70 and 120 progressively better on the way warming up. So those are a couple of, those are a couple of justifications that were offered, but what I've, what I've tended to see in my own clients has sort of mirrored that, which is that like, unless training is like sufficiently heavy and challenging to require them to actually have the correct intention in movement, you don't learn as much. Cause if you can like, if a weight is so light that you can sort of like squat any which way and it's going to feel just as easy and it won't really matter what you do then there's almost no sense to repetition because like, what's the point? Like however you squat is going to feel fine and feel right. So you don't learn anything. Whereas if it's sufficiently heavy and challenging that if you do it wrong, it feels bad. And if you do it right, it feels better. You get that sense of feedback that helps you sort of slowly narrow your movement strategies towards one that actually works. Does that make, to play, does that make sense? To play yeah, the devil's advocate to that. Mm -hmm how much do you think that's dependent on people's own mindset and the fact that they like switch on more when the weights get heavier? Um, cause just well, like, anecdotally, yeah, keep going. Cause just like anecdotally, I noticed like the most, my bench press has ever improved in a short amount of time was literally when I just started doing more reps warming up. So I do like 20 with the bar and like theoretically there shouldn't be any meaningful carry. Like the specificity is not there with benching the empty bar versus benching a really heavy bar but it's the fact that you've taken it to be mindful practice and an ability to improve skill acquisition. Yeah. But in I your think instance, this is because the empty bar is heavy for you, man. Um, yeah. That's actually a really good point, Alex. I forgot <laughs> that. Good burn. But in your instance, Tom, you've been lifting weights for like five, six years or whatever, right? So yeah. you're entirely different to Brandon's clientele. Some of whom literally start lifting weights basically when they start seeing. So yeah, for you, my point is you've already got like, you have a motor strategy already that's reasonably well established. And so it's kind of practice for you to still bench the empty bar because you already know how you're going to go about benching. Whereas the people who are actually discovering a movement strategy, unless you have sufficient feedback on that movement strategy to tell you, 
was this good, bad, efficient or inefficient? You're not really going to start narrowing things down towards like a model that works. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Like I do think there's definitely a sweet spot because obviously if weights are so heavy that no matter how you try, you can't do things well, you're not going to do them well. You're not going to learn anything. Right. But yeah. if weights are so light that it doesn't matter what you do, then it's also not conducive to learning either. And so probably part of what makes Brandon's approach helpful is that it gives people exposure to weights that are heavy enough that they really, really feel like, hey, did I nail it? Or have I got to fix something about that? And they do get comfortable with that sense of strain and difficulty that you would otherwise get in lifting heavy weights. Make sense? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Cool. Let's do the overrated, underrated now for Tom. Yeah. No, no. Will, you can answer it. Um, Alex has left. In what respect? <laughs> I'm Coach. still here, mate. Coach, Coach. lifter. And person. Just, the, just Tom in general. Okay. Bloke, overrated. Lifter, underrated. Um, so I'm going to toot my own horn here. Tom, how much have you put on your like unofficial total since nationals last year? 60 kilos? Yeah, 60 kilos. Yeah. So I reckon Tom's flying yeah. under the radar. And his trajectory of improvement is really impressive. And while his environment, while his environment is conducive to him continuing to train really hard, I think he's going to continue to improve at a pretty steady clip. And he's obviously very dedicated and works hard. So as a lifter, I think he flies under the radar. And in a few years' time, he's really going to be quite competitive. As a coach, I also think Tom is underrated for reasons that have probably been apparent in this podcast, which is that He's obviously very thoughtful in how he approaches things. He doesn't take information at face value and he's willing to change his approach in light of new information to meet the people that he's working with. And when you look at the majority of his clientele, even though lots of them have like very diverse backgrounds and very diverse goals, he's still able to change the way in which he offers his services to service them. I think that's a really good mark of a coach is like adaptability. So being able to still provide the fundamentals of coaching, which are like support and guidance and, you know, a collaborative decision-making process, being able to apply that to people from all walks of life shows that you've got like the fundamental skills of coaching down. And then because he's so diligent in acquiring like the specialist skills of being a powerful coach, I think he'd be very good. So bloke overrated, coach underrated, lifter underrated. <laughs> I think that's completely fair as well. <laughs> I don't think I'd hear. I would actually agree with that. that except, awesome. I would actually agree with that um, entirely. I think he's like going to be as a coach better than he will be as a lifter. Um, lifter, he'll hard. be reasonable. Yeah, not hard at all. <laughs> lifter, he'll be reasonable. Um, he's obviously improving at a pretty pretty good rate, and he's got like quite high potential. But I think as a coach, given like how much thought he puts into um, his training that he writes to people, and like how much of his life is centered around learning. I think he'll be uh, one of the better coaches. Hey, um, Brandon and Tom, I'm curious um, while you're here, how much of your training with your clients has been informed, not just by like Alex and myself as coaches working with you, but your experiences generally as a trainer? What are things that you've done that have like changed how you've gone about coaching clients? Done as someone who trains? Yeah. Yeah, I think... When I was, especially when I was a lot less experienced, I had a tendency to like, to bounce from like one school of thought to another or from one idea to another. Um, but definitely the thing I seem to have learned 
as I've like trained for a while and trained in different ways as well, um, is that like good programs have more things in common than they have different. And there's this capacity to like draw out, like generally X, Y, Z is happening. Um, and like things are getting better. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, like, but think, what are a couple of examples of things that were maybe like on face level different about programs you ran successfully, but when you looked at it in that way were the same? I think definitely my ideas of like what progression is, if that makes sense. Um, so when I was like, when I first started training, I was, because I myself was less experienced, I projected this idea of linear progression onto almost all my clients. Meaning like um, they had to increase weight every week. Yeah. Very, very sort of Mark Rippert. So like, okay, this week we do our fives and then next week we do five more. And then like we add two and a half kilos or five pounds or whatever. Mm. Um, whereas now I've found, again, it's like tool to the person, but often I find myself playing around with variable rep ranges um, or finding other ways to make people feel like they continue to improve. Um, and whilst that same idea is like over a long period of time, individuals still end up in a better place. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think one of the things I found hard when I started thinking the way that you're describing is that when I moved away from being like person X has to do more weight or more reps than they did last week in movement Y for me to know that they're getting better every single week. Once I moved away from that, things became much more ambiguous for me. Like trying to determine is the training working got a little bit harder um, because now like I think there's a, there's like a range of work and difficulty that's going to be productive for a given person and that will be expressed at some time in the future. But that might mean that like week by week their performance will be better or worse than it was in the preceding week. And so trying to, trying to sort out from that like signal from noise is really difficult because you, know, like you yourself have had down weeks where, where like, you know, your squat has felt worse than the week preceding, but that's within a trend of going, going up and up and up and up and up. And so part of the skill of coaching for me has become like determining, Hey, is it because the training arrangement is not quite working or can I like put that little blip in progress down to just like, random fluctuation or like circumstance in a person's life, you know? Yeah. And you definitely gain more insight into what that person can and can't get away with on that case, like performance and recovery wise, as you progress with them. Yeah, totally. But also what happens is as your clients get more advanced and that sort of approach becomes more important is like, they also start to be able to reconcile those fluctuations themselves. Like, I myself, when I walk in now and I have a dodgy deadlift session, I'm pretty good at saying, man, you know, I kind of felt a bit flat warming up. Like I knew today was just not a strong day. And like all my other weeks leading into today haven't been as strong, but like I felt dodgy all morning. I didn't sleep that well last night. I think I'm just having a bad week. And so it also helps me smooth out those bumps when I talk to my own coach. I go like, don't think there's much wrong in the program. It wasn't unreasonable on paper. I just wasn't feeling that good, you know? So I yeah. think... So I think part of that coaching process, when you start looking at things from that broader, like what's the training envelope like, is it reasonable perspective is like also asking your athlete to engage with you and, and develop that sense of awareness of what is productive training. What does it feel like? You know? Yeah. And I think that's something you're, for those of you who aren't coached by Will recently, he started sending out. 
yeah, so basically everyone but me, um, Will started sending out a weekly like evaluation where we like speak to the camera and we go, okay, answer these questions. Like, how did this feel? How did that feel? Were there specific trends we match? I think something in your practice you do well is you try and push people towards developing self-efficacy in that they themselves gain those insights. So then they have the capacity to tell you as well and carry that over even when you're not training with them in the future. Well, thank you. That's something I'm working towards. What about you, Brandon? What's a couple of okay. things that in your own training you've learned that you apply with your clients? Um, obviously, there's a lot of, I guess, like programming and technique stuff, which is like, I feel like kind of generic, but Alex obviously helped me learn those things. And But I think the one of the biggest things I've learned from Alex is I think one of my weaknesses as not only a coach, but kind of personality weakness um, is kind of sometimes being assertive and being not being assertive enough and being too agreeable. So Alex has a very good way of how he coaches by kind of being very army like and telling, Hey, just do this. Whereas sometimes when I'm with my clients, I'm almost trying to be, I almost agree with them too much and don't give them enough direction. So something I've learned from Alex is kind of being able to be more assertive and straight to the point with my information. And it helps so much, especially as you say, like training can go up and down. And when people are going through downs, they do, sometimes they don't really want to, they don't want you to listen also. They kind of, sometimes they just want straight advice or like straight direction. So that's something I've kind of learned from Alex is there's times as a coach where you need to be assertive and to the point. Um, and I guess the other part of that is um, that I've learned from Lyft is obviously I started squad coaching after Alex. Um, but just seeing all the benefit of lifting in a community and um, training with others, I saw Alex create that environment for his lifters when he was at Lyft. And that's something I've was like, that I saw was really cool. And I saw, wow, these guys are making so much, uh, pro so much progress. They're having lots of fun. Um, and that's another element like training in a group and the benefit of powerlifting training in a, in a squad is something as well I picked up from Alex. But I mean, that's like very specific things, but obviously lots of technique stuff, um, lots of programming things. And as well, being introduced to the right people is kind of put me into the, the right circle of people where they kind of know what they're talking about and they're not bullshitting. Like <laughs> that's something I'm very grateful for as well. Yeah, it's funny. I'm training in a group. So, so there's research on this in motor learning as well, which is that um, people who are like novices to a task can actually learn really effectively by seeing the mistakes that other people make. So when you watch like when you watch another novice, if you're a novice yourself struggling with a task, you have a chance to like mentally try and come up with solutions to the problems that they're facing. And so that solution generating, uh, that solution generating process actually speeds up your learning. And that comes back to a, a characteristic that's like inherent in humans and it, I, Tom, you might know this better than me. I'm not actually certain whether it's been observed in other primates, possibly chimpanzees, um, but it's the ability to learn by observation generally. And it's, it comes down to mirror neurons, which are like a motor. They're a, um, a motor control or motor learning mechanism in our brains where we can watch other people doing an activity and you can see brain activity. If you do an fMRI, so you do like a brain scan on somebody, we can we can show activity of us like mirroring the task that they're doing in our mind or visualizing it. 
So as when novices watch other people do things and making mistakes, you can see them or like if you were to do an fMRI on them, you would see them actually visualizing themselves doing that task and having to overcome the obstacles that they're facing. So when you train in a group, particularly as beginners, you get twice as many learning opportunities or four times as many learning opportunities because you see people in common predicaments to you figuring out solutions to the problems that you're also facing. And then on top of that, you get the motivational benefit of vicarious experience. You see other people benefiting from the same training that you're doing. And so that begets belief and further investment in the task at hand. You know what I'm talking about? Brandon, you got your hand up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got like some anecdote to that too. Like a lot of times when I'm coaching in a group, like one thing I always ask my lift off, they said is like, how did that feel? And like get them to talk about what they're going through and what they're learning and what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. And I often see a lot of the other guys training around them is always like listening, eavesdropping. Sometimes it's not great because they, they're taking the advice of someone else and they start implementing themselves. But I feel like in the long term, they kind of get a better idea of the bigger picture and like what they're working towards or like why they're doing certain like accessory lifts and all that kind of stuff. So to add to your point, yeah, I can kind of see that in the group setting happen a lot, especially like someone like Wendy, who's been in the group the, group the longest I'm at a point now with her where she can, um, I don't really even need a coach anymore. And I feel like that process has picked up because she's just been in the squad environment so much and she's seen so many other lifters go through and go through their journey um, that she's good at herself now, like picking up her own technical flaws and being more aware of her body and space and all those kind of things. So, yeah. so when you talk about, um, and I want to throw this to Alex as well. When you talk about a client, you say you almost don't need a coach anymore in that like you're not, teaching her what to do set by set and rep by rep when you get somebody who is actually like demonstrating competency to you like that what do you then think your role as a coach is alex maybe you start i think it's just providing that um community first of all like knowing first of all that you are there for them and to help them along the way and that everything that you've done leading up to this point is an indication that you'll continue helping them um past where they are now. I think that's the first thing. Um, I think secondly, like you've obviously showed them what you are capable of, um, what results you are capable of getting. And, you know, that may mean that you have more left up your sleeve to pick out other problems that they may have, whether it be technical faults or whatever, and you're going to be able to keep helping them on the way there. Brandon. I think it also, um, I agree with everything Alex said, but you become more of like a support and a trust. Like this athlete has gone through this massive journey um, and you've been there the whole time. If they see you go away from like managing their, like they can almost relate their positive outcome with you. So if you leave that picture, they're not going to, they're not going to start trusting their training. They might uh, not adhere to the, the program they pick in the future, things like that. So I feel like rather than, you telling them do this, do this, do this, you become more of a support role. Um, yeah, you're still t- like structuring their training and all those great things, but you become more of like a pillar to their powerlifting. Um, and and then obviously there is times, and I think Tom actually preaches this as well, is like you should be coaching like you're trying to unemploy yourself. I do agree with that to some regard, but yeah, there's definitely a shift in your role as the lifter becomes more knowledgeable and more un- like understands their training better. Tom? Yeah, definitely. I think because I do almost all my work, I only have a couple of powerlifters, almost all my clients are gen pop. 
Um, one of the things which always frustrates me immensely is that like I've clients who've trained with a PT for six years. Um, and they also, they never really gain any kind of insight into what's happening. Um, like I don't have an issue with that relationship dragging on a long amount of time, but if you're not again, like Brandon brought up his example, how she's essentially coaching yourself now. And he has like a, he facilitates it. Um, his involvement may be a bit more of a mentoring thing. It may just be some higher end technical expertise on a broader scope, like with the way the training's periodized with helping to select loads, things like that. But if you can give people the tools to make themselves better, they're going to do so much better and you should effectively be making yourself unemployed, but they'll continue to come back. Yeah. I mean, if I, Oh, you are Brandon. To add on to that is also like, like will yourself, um, you haven't been like, obviously you're a very experienced coach. You haven't been coached for a while and you've chosen in this point of um, your life to have a coach. So I think there's also another thing we can add on to that is like, there is obviously values of in having a coach outside of just kind of knowledge. Um, if that is counter- accountability or whatever that is, or just someone overlooking a training, there is just value in that itself. Um, I, and I feel like that's the role you kind of lean towards when the athlete becomes that experienced or that knowledgeable? Yeah, 100%. And this is something I've actually said to Bryce myself on a couple of my check-ins is like, it's nice to feel that there's somebody who's sort of in your corner on the ride with you when you're talking about your training. And a word that I think this is Eric Helms has used this word most often that I've heard, but it's like your coach being an ally for you as you're trying to get through your training process. Um, Alex, next time you do that, can you mute yourself? One sec. There we go. Uh, I muted him. So, <laughs> so Alex is trying to make himself food and he's making way too much noise. Um, yeah, having a coach that is an ally that you can work with is really important for you, particularly like we were talking about earlier when your training gets into that pointy end of like sometimes having stagnant and difficult periods. And what I find with my clients who are more experienced, so again, like JP is a good example, Chris is a good example, you know, to a degree, Beck is a good example as well, is like they will come to you with their problems and they'll come to you with their proposed solutions. And then you often have to collaborate with them and say like, hey, you know, this is like these are the lines I'm thinking down with your training. We can do the things you're saying, but like here's a problem that's, pres- that's going to present. What's a solution we can work on together that we're going to believe in that's actionable? And so like today, for instance, Chrissy sent me a screenshot of a notes document on her phone that literally had like the program layout that she wants to do. And she said, like, I'm working from my garage right now. These are the things I've available to me. This is the stuff I want to do. And the reason I've laid them out in these, like the days like this is because of X, Y, Z. And she goes, like, this is my suggestion. This is my suggestion for current program. Maybe like work around with this and come back to me. And so I wrote back to her and said, like, that's all perfect. You know, here's a couple of holes that I have in that plan. What do you think? She gave me some answers again. And I said, okay, perfect. Like, I'll write a program in light of that. Wrote it, sent it to her and said, how does that work with what you've got? And she came back with a couple of questions and was broadly fine. But, like, at that point when somebody is that capable, they're not expecting you to make every decision and steer the ship. They're actually they're grateful for the fact that they're competent and capable, but they know you're in their corner trying to help them get through the obstacles that they have and that you're like a second head to work with to try and get better. Right. I agree. It's almost like going from 
because I feel like all coaches themselves, you're always going to have some subjective <coughs> opinion about your own training. So having to someone else, they just, they can keep it a bit more objective um, and get another perspective on what you're thinking. Um, and as well as a coach, when another coach is telling you things, that's an opportunity to learn an opportunity to learn different coaching styles and also different ways to communicate with your clients. Like hence, I know Will, you've started doing, as we said, the video, the video feedback. And I'm pretty sure that's from Bryce, right? You've gotten that or been yeah, inspired shamelessly by plagiarized. Yeah, entirely <laughs> plagiarized. To be honest, sooner or later, I'm going to just start sending my own program spreadsheet to other people, just adding them to access it. <laughs> and it'll be fine. Give the template, just a raw template. Good luck, guys. That's fine. Yeah. Just the colors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Um, guys, do you have any other questions that you prepared for us today? Oh, I think we're pretty good, Jerk and Brandon. Yeah, some silly questions. <laughs> the There's main some one. more, but like... We can do a quick lightning round if you like. Yeah, look, I'm happy to do a lightning round. I've finished all my drinks. Um, otherwise... Otherwise, we're, I'm happy to wrap it up there. Guys, I really appreciate you giving us your time today. Yeah. Thank you. Let's just wrap it up. That's all good. Yeah, let's declare. Yeah. All right, sweet. <laughs> In that case, um, Tom first, then Brandon. Tell the audience um, who you are, where they can find you for coaching inquiries or just for social media and stuff generally, and we'll leave it there. Yeah, um, yeah thanks for having me, guys. I'm Tom Clark, tom.clark.fitness on Instagram. Um, I'm Brandon, powerlifting coach, of course, uh, coach Bundan, that's B-U-N-D-U-N on Instagram. Um, yeah, you can find me on that, on that social media platform. Brandon, do you want to tell the quick story about how you got the name Bundan? Cause that's a pretty <laughs> good one. <laughs> All right, then we can end it. Um, okay. So when I, when I used to play cricket, um, with my mates, my dad used to come to every game. Um, and obviously all my friends see my dad, he just loves it and really into it. And like, you wouldn't really expect it if you like being like a stereotypical Asian dad, you know, they're more interested in like, you know, the academics rather than the sports. Anyway, he was really into it. Um, and there's a rule in school sports is that at halftime, you sit down with your team and no one interferes. Like you just have you, your coach and some water. And then every time, because my dad cared so much um, about my performance, he would run onto the field with a Gatorade and... <laughs> So we're in the middle of the pitch, sitting down in our little coaching circle. My dad's running into the field at halftime, <laughs> being like, Abanda, got your Gatorade. <laughs> anyway, the, <laughs> obviously trying to say Brandon in an Asian accent. And then the boys kind of picked up on it and they found it really funny. And, <laughs> and I don't know, it just became a thing. They started calling me Bandan. So when I was like my time to bowl or my time to bat, Instead of being like, oh, Brandon, it's your turn. They'd be like, Abandon, time to bowl. And it was just really funny. And I, I just, I kind of liked it. And it was, <laughs> it represents my life a lot. So. <laughs> Ooh, that's Abandon. <laughs> well, great way to finish the episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to Brandon and Tom. I'm Will at PT. I'm Alex at Alex has underscore process. We'll chat to you guys next week. Thank you.